I'm going to invite you uh, right now to pull out that insert inside of the bulletin. On one side is an outline that you can use as we go through Psalm 40 this morning. On the back side of it is what we call the MPG. If you're visiting with us for the first time in person or maybe perhaps uh, for the first time with us doing the live stream, you can get all of this on the website. But the MPG is a way for us to take what we're talking about this morning in the sermon a little bit further down the road. And the M stands for memorize. We're going to give you a passage to memorize, uh, a prayer to pray this week as it pertains to the message, and then some ways that you can work this message into your everyday life and, and glorify God with your life. Now, uh, the end of that passage that Stephen just read has these words. I delight to do your will, O God. I delight to do your will, O oh God. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's a little bit hard to delight in the will of God. I hope I'm not alone in that. You know, when David is, is talking about God's will, he is not saying that the will of God is always easy. It's not. And David is not saying that doing the will of God always feels good. It doesn't. But I think what David is saying is that in the good times and the bad times, in the easy times and the hard times, that his ultimate satisfaction in life, our ultimate satisfaction in life comes when his will and our will is aligned with the will of God. We say a lot around here, and if you're visiting with us today, we believe this with all of our heart and would love to have an opportunity to talk about it with you. But we say around here that the best, the best offer a human being is ever going to get is an invitation into the kingdom of God. Now, when it comes to that, as we've been talking about all weekend, the Bible plays a really big part in that, of learning how to delight and to do and to discern God's will. It's not the only thing. We have God's Word. We have God's Spirit that is put in us. We have the community of people, the community of faith that shares wisdom and experiences and support and encouragement to do God's will. A, a critical part of our life with God involves learning to live in a way that reflects God's will and reflects God's wisdom and reflects God's way and God's love into the world. And this, quite frankly, my friends, is one of the biggest challenges that the church faces in the Western world. Now, here is the idea. Now, we're going to spend uh, a couple of weeks uh, getting ready to go into Deuteronomy, we're going to spend a couple of weeks thinking about discerning and doing God's will. We're beginning today with Psalm 40. But the big idea of this series, and, and listen, I'm, I'm going to apologize ahead of time. It's so simple that it's nearly insulting to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Discerning and doing God's will is a big deal. Would you agree with that? Discerning, in fact, let's say it together. Discerning and doing God's will is a big deal. It is even taught by Jesus as a way to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, we spent some time talking about the Lord's Prayer and, and the God that Jesus knows in this prayer. And in the middle of that prayer, or at the beginning of that prayer, I should say, Jesus teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come, say it with me, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Discerning and doing 
God's will is a pretty big deal. The flip side of that is that when we get it wrong, it just really affects everything. Getting it wrong affects everything. Think about the creation count in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, God is creating the heavens and the earth and everything in between. He creates humans, male and female, and in creating them, and in the way that he creates them, he creates them to be agents of his presence, agents of his shalom into the world. Human beings, people like you and me, are to be God's reps in the world for flourishing and for beauty and for wholesomeness and for peace. And it's a pretty simple plan when you think about it. It's a pretty simple plan. God says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, have dominion, and don't eat of one tree. You can eat anything else, but don't eat of one tree because when you do, that's going to usher something in that's really, really bad, a thing called death. And basically he's saying, it's just one tree, eat everything else, trust me on that. Genesis 1 and 2 rolls out, everything's fine. Until Genesis 3 rolls out. And when Genesis 3 opens, there is another agent that is introduced. There is a serpent who is an agent of chaos. An agent of confu confusion that arrives on the scene. And the serpent begins a conversation with a woman that can be summarized with a question, and the question is this, and what do you delight? Do you delight in God's will, or do you delight in your own will? I mean, do you believe that God is trustworthy? Do you believe that, that God has your best interests at heart? Or did you know that if you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like God? And what is it, and in whom do you delight? In other words, do you delight in God? Or do you delight in something else? And here is what happens next in Genesis 3, verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. It's a beautiful tree. And the fruit is good. And that it was a what? Delight to the eyes. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took some of its fruit and she ate. And you know the rest of the story. She gives some to the men and he eats. And from that point on, chaos and confusion, the twins and their big brother death have just made a mess of the world and everything in it. The world is going to be identified with pain and with sweat and a curse and thorns and thistles. But remember the big idea that we're talking about in this series, that discerning and doing God's will is a big deal. We are given that responsibility still in creation. And I want us to consider three things this morning. The first is, what is it? When we're talking about discernment, what exactly are we talking about? And then trust in its place with discernment. And then discernment and the toxic God images or narratives. Let's start with this first one, the understanding, understanding discernment. A simple definition would look something like this. That discernment is distinguishing which is best between options. Discernment is distinguishing which is best 
between options. And for a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, that best is in determining what it is that God wills for our life. Now, in understanding the, the dilemma of discernment, it, I think it's helpful sometimes for us to be able to break it down and to see that discernment has three essential elements. The first is this, that there is a significant question. Not all, there are lots of questions, right? Not all of them are significant. I knew a fellow one time, I knew a guy that one time would never make a decision at Pizza Hut on what pizza he would order without praying. And there would be times when he would pray for half an hour before he would order a pizza. God, do you want the, you know, should I order pepperoni or the meat lovers or the supreme or, you know, pineapple and ham, which everybody does like God's will, you know? <laughs> it's a significant question. It's a significant question. More significant than, should I choose tea or coffee? The blue car or the red car? Uh, should I buy a Ford truck? Or uh, there, there are probably other trucks out there. <laughs> you Chevy guys need to hear this sermon. <laughs> but the significant questions deal with marriage. It deals with marriage. I mean, uh, you know, when we think about what Paul says about the church and about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, we know that there is a will that God has for marriages, that people should be able to look at your marriage and get an idea of what the gospel is all about. Discerning God's will in marriage, all the forgiveness and the love and the sacrifice and, and all of the things that make a marriage godly and meaningful. Uh, decisions and discernment, significant questions about children to, 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 to have one, to have another one. Vocation, do I take this job or do I take another job? Finances, do I spend money here or do I spend money there? Ministry, what should I be investing my time and energy to the glory of God to? How do you handle tricky subjects? Discernment comes into play when there's a significant question that we have in life. And the second element is that there's more than one option. Remember, um, I guess let's make a deal, is, is still on. But, it, you know, it used to be on with Monty Hall back in the day. Uh, you know, it was always about the options. Should I take what's under the box behind curtain three, or should I take the $50 bill in Monty's hand? Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, once wrote about discernment. He said, D discernment is not a, a matter of telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. There are options out there. So a significant question where there are more than one option for you to choose from, and then finally you have the freedom to choose. As a person living by faith, the freedom to choose the next, the next answer. Now when it comes to doing this, most of us fall into two categories. There are three, but most of us fall into two categories. Category one is this, always discerning but never doing. I mean, we're always thinking about it. We're always, uh, you know, thinking, considering all the angles. We're not going to do until we have absolutely the right answer. The right angle ha has been discerned. And a lot of times we end up not doing anything until we get there. It's that, that paralysis by analysis. Sometimes it's also a polite way to say no. 
You know, somebody says, hey, I need you to teach, you know, the three-year-olds or the kindergartens or the middle schoolers or an adult class. And you say, you know, I don't know about that. Let me pray about it. And it's just a polite way to say no. We're always discerning, never doing. Category two is always doing, but never discerning. And a lot of us, I, quite frankly, I kind of fall into this. I remember a friend of mine in high school said to me one time, he said, you know what, you're kind of an impulsive guy. And I, I, I was going to fight him, but I didn't know what impulsive meant. <laughs> and it was a good thing because I learned, hey, he was telling the truth. And, you know, sometimes shooting from the hip is not always the greatest move, right? That sometimes you need to measure twice and cut once. That sometimes you, you, you don't need to react, you need to respond. Knee-jerk reactions will always get you into trouble. So most of us fall into the always discerning but never doing, or always doing and never discerning. What we want to fall into is number three, doing after discerning. And that gets us into the third category as a disciple of Jesus, the doing and the discerning. And we need these next two points. The first one is this, about trust and discernment. Notice what David says in Psalm 40. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined. That is, that when, God, when we pray to God, when we're waiting on God, when we're speaking to God, God is leaning and putting his good ear toward us. He inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And guess what? Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. Now, we don't really know exactly what's going on here, but something significant is happening in the life of David. And in David's mind, it can't be resolved without God. And David knows some, some things about God, and that is that God answers prayers at his own speed. And so David waits, and he waits patiently. And as he's waiting patiently, he begins to think. And in his thinking, he begins to remember. He says to himself, you know, God has heard my cries. I know this to be true. God leans into me and he hears when I speak words into his ear. I know this to be true. My question is, how does David know this? David knows this because God has answered prayers in the past. Did you notice all of the verbs that were in that text that I just read, they were all in the past tense. David is remembering all of the ways that God and David's life intersected at those really distinct moments, and God always answered, and God always responded. He says, you know, at one time I was in a pit of destruction. Now, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound good. A pit of destruction sounds awful. It is the opposite of a mountaintop experience. And David says, you know what? There was a moment, and we know David's life, there were a few of these moments in which God brought me out of that pit of destruction. It felt like my feet were in clay and I was trapped. 
and God came. And there was a time when he set my feet on a rock, and it felt so wonderful because my life was unstable. You, you know, when your life is not very stable, it's hard to be, it's, it's hard to be confident. It, it's, it's hard to be optimistic when you're waiting. You know, it's like standing on the side of a canoe, and you're just kind of rocking back and forth, and you know any second you're about to be thrown into some cold water. And David says, you know, it was like that one time, and God took my life and made it stable. He put my feet on a rock. And it wasn't just once. It was a lot of times. It was a lot of times that he did this. And he's given me a lot of songs, a lot of new songs because of new experiences of God in my life, a new reason to praise God. One of the commentators on the Psalms uh, a fellow by the name of Michael Wilcox says this. He says, every experience, we all have experiences of God, right? Of God answering prayers, of, you know, struggling with God's son. But every experience of the Lord's grace in the past, as we remember how God had come streaming through the clouds, should lead us to look up to him with what? Trust for the present and for the future. Our response to all the God blessing, to all the God stuff in our life, all the grace, all the forgiveness, is not just more religious behavior. It is a heart change that says, how blessed is anyone who trusts God. And so David says in verse 6, you know, I get this, sacrifice and meal offering you've not desired. My ears you have opened, which is kind of a funny translation. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Now David knows that all these offerings were important and they had their proper place in the life of God's people. But the thing that God desires is David's heart and David's trust. And David has made this tremendous discovery of interacting with God in every event, every moment in his life, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, that God's personal blessing of your life demands more than impersonal religious activity. It's not that, hey, I got an answer prayer, so I'm going to keep going to church. Or I've got to go to church in order to get this blessing. What David is learning to do is not just to be different on the outside, but to be different on the inside in trusting God. He's learning to trust God. Notice what he says in verse 4. How blessed is the man who has made his, the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. There's another translation that says, do not turn to false gods. Trust. You, you know, I've been married for 41 years. A lot of you have been married a long time as well. Uh, all of us have relationships, people that we consider to be very, very close, people that, 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 that we love very much and we hope love us. And one of the things that I have learned in life is that one of the most insulting things that you can say to anyone is this. I know you, but I don't trust you. I know you, but I don't trust you. When we do that, we are giving God 
a vote of no confidence. Not only in our life, but before the watching eyes of the world that surrounds us. When we do not trust God and God's will, we are blackballing God. Now that happens every day around the world. It must never happen among God's people. Discerning the will of God is an exercise in learning to trust God. It is something that requires that we not only develop trust, but in developing that trust, that we also begin to deal with the, the toxic narratives and the toxic images that we have of God. Which brings us to the next point. Let's talk a little bit about these toxic images. Uh, one of my favorite authors of all time, somebody has taught me a lot, is a fellow by the name of Dallas Willard, and he writes about the process of sport, spiritual formation. He writes, the process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing the destructive images and ideas with the images and the ideas that filled, that filled the mind of Jesus himself. That part of what it means to grow up in Christ, what it means to become mature in Christ, is to begin to displace all of those negative images, those distorted, those wrong images of God, the wrong ideas of God, and to replace them with the way that Jesus thought about God. How he responded to God as Father. That is part of the spiritual formation in Christ that we go through. Now think of all of the false images of God that are prevalent. You know, the reason you're suffering is because you sinned. Now, there are times when we do something uh, foolish and it brings consequences into our life. Um, you know, we do this all the time and, you, you know, we, there's a, a price that gets paid. But there's also this, this, this horrible image that says that, that the reason that we are suffering is because we have sinned. When we live in a broken world that's filled with thorns and thistles, and there are a lot of times when we do not understand and we will never know why we're suffering. That is life in a broken world. It is going to come upon us, the darkness at times, and we're not going to understand why. And a lot of times it's not because you sinned, but it's because of who you are in a broken world. Or it's the do good get good. That's kind of the flip side of that coin, right? You do good, you get good. Or try harder. You're not worthy. Try harder. I had a football coach one time. He, he was a great football player, but he wasn't that great of a coach. And, and so we're out there practicing, and uh, this is up on the East Coast, and he says, he says, Absher, I'm from Missouri. Show me something. And I would go, okay. And I'd run headfirst into something. And he'd go, up, oh, sure. You got to show me something. You got to try harder. So I would try harder. Next thing you know, I'm sitting on my rear with a concussion. And he's going, up, oh, sure. You got to try harder. There's this image of God that we sometimes entertain where we do not know what it is that's going to please him, even though it's been revealed to us. Or the blessings that you have or have a shelf life or an expiration date. Have you ever just had a really good stretch of days or weeks or months or even a year, and you woke up in the middle of the night and you go, wow, things have been going really, really great. But that must mean that somewhere around the corner there's a catastrophe that's headed my way. And you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Listen, friends, 
Jesus came in the flesh in order to show us God who is spirit. Colossians chapter 1, he is the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. What Jesus is showing us is this is who God is. That this is what it means when you love God and you walk with God. And, and, and this, is how, this is how God responds to human beings. And the very fact that I'm here in the flesh is an indication that God is for you. That the universe is not cold. That the universe, that God smiles upon us. So the big question for me this morning and for us is this. Do you believe that God is on your side? Do you believe that God has your best interests at heart? Do you believe that God loves you with an everlasting love? Do you believe that he guides you on a path of righteousness? Do you believe that you can put the care of your life into his hands as your, as your shepherd? David writes in Psalm 40, verse 12, For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. I'm here to tell you, friends, that uh, I can identify with what David is struggling with here. David, David realizes that he is a sin factory, and that as a human being, he is capable of pumping out the sin until he can't see the sky anymore. And he says, I can't, I can't see anymore. I, they're so innumerable. You know, my heart is failing because of all of this. And then he writes in verse 11, but you, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness, your chesed, and your truth will continually preserve me. David knows that he is loved. And this is why David can say in verse 8, I delight to do your will, O God. If David did not think that God was on his side, then he would not have delighted in finding himself in the stream of God's will for his life. In other words, it's not easy to delight in God's will if we don't trust God's will for our life. Now back to Psalm 40. Our, our text from Psalm 40 actually makes a turn into the New Testament where the writer uh, to the Hebrews, the 10th chapter, uses it to describe Jesus and his once and for all sacrifice for sins. So we have God the Son in heaven before the incarnation. And he says, a body you have prepared for me. And then he says, on earth I have come to do your will. In other words, it is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then on the night that Jesus is betrayed. He's in the garden and he's wrestling with the will of God. And it's horrible. 
He does not want to do the will of God, and he asks out. Let this cup pass. And he is so moved by this that there are actually the sweat and the blood mingled together. But Jesus does not know how to live his life. He does not recognize any problem by which he cannot approach it in prayer in the presence of God. And he prays, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus dies on the cross not to just save us from our sins, but to save us from ourselves. I've often said that I'm an idiot savant only without the savant part. (laughs) I am so grateful that my sins have been forgiven by Jesus. I'm so grateful that I, I have a home with Christ in eternity on the renewed earth, heaven and earth coming together. But I am so grateful that God has saved me from Mark Absher. I know what it means when Jesus says, you can't be my disciple unless you pick up your cross and follow me. To pick up your cross and to follow him means that you're going to die. The person that you were no longer exists as you learn how to live as a disciple of Jesus, dying to self in order to live for him. And the reason it's so important is that since Genesis 3, the world has been full of toxic toxic images of God that make it really, really difficult for people to believe that God is trustworthy. And this is especially true for younger generations who have never lived in a world where it was assumed that God is good, that God is gracious, that God is for us and not against us. And this is one of the reasons that Jesus teaches that his followers, that is, his disciples, living together in a community that prays, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, becomes as noticeable as and as hard to miss as salt in anything that's bland. As hard to miss as light when it penetrates darkness. When people were hearing Jesus talk about a city set on a hill, they would think about all of the great cities, especially Jerusalem, set on a hill with all the nations streaming into it. He said, this is what we look like. And as Paul would write later on, Curtis, come on up here on the stage with me, brother. We're just about done. Paul would say, you know, working out your salvation in light of who God is and by God's power There's a thing that happens in the community of faith that makes you shine. You shine like stars. This is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to learn not only to discern God's will, but to do God's will, and to do it in such a way that it shows that human beings are being invited into the kingdom of God again through Christ. And that is the very best offer we will ever receive. Let's stand and sing together.